uh, reusing the setup that I had this morning when I live streamed going to church. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully I got the microphone connected. Okay. Is, is, are there? Okay, all right. There are levels. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Bible Reading Edition. How's your Sunday been so far? Um, hope it's been restful. Hope you got a chance to read the Bible in church today to hear it preached. Uh, hope you had a chance to think about all that God's been saying to you and to think about how to apply it in your daily lives. Uh, well, that's what um, partly what this is about. Uh, just putting into practice that kind of habit whereby just keep coming back, keep reading the Bible, keep thinking about how it applies to our lives. Um, I'm not sure if I'll be able to do the whole thing today. Um, yeah, yeah, just woke up. Since um, my brain's not all together <laughs> in one place, I'm sorry. Um, but maybe, maybe that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, I'll be fresh. I'll be fresh when I look at these passages. Uh, let's see. Uh, today we're looking at Genesis 11, Matthew 10, Ezra 10, Acts chapter 10. Um, I should begin by praying. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the freshness that comes from resting in your word. Uh, please make us alert. Help us to hear what you're saying to us. Help us to think through, not just you know, walk away from them, but to think through everything you're saying, to um, internalize them, and to rejoice over them. Uh, help us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our first passage for today is Genesis chapter 11. Oh, okay. All right. Babel. Cool. Cool. The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. As they traveled east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar there, land of Shinar, and they lived there. They said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, Come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches to the sky, and let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. On the surface of the whole earth. Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men built. Yahweh said, Behold, they are one people, and they, they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing will be withheld from them which they intend to do. Come, let's go down, and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So Yahweh scattered them abroad from there on the surface of all the earth. They stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there uh, Yahweh confused the language of all the earth. From there, Yahweh scattered them abroad on the surface of all the earth. Um, yeah, let's just pause there and think about this Tower of Babel. This is where it comes from. God uh, disperses the people who build this tower that reaches to the heavens that try to make a name for themselves. And in the process, he disperses them by confusing their language, causing them not to be able to understand one another. And what brings them together in the first place is that they had one language and one speech. Uh, and this could either mean that they all spoke just one, like everyone said, the exact same language, or maybe they had a lingua franca, they had other languages, but they had this one common language that they all spoke to one another. Um, this is interesting because, um, well, let, let's move on further. I mean, uh, they traveled east and they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they lived there. 
there are so many overtones here of um, direction and characters we've seen so far in Genesis so far, you know, throughout the storyline. So the land of Shinar moving east and um, building this city, verse 4. Um, where do we see this? Well, just yesterday, uh, Genesis chapter 10 uh, outlines the creation of all these new nations, peoples, and languages uh, through the three descendants of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And um, they had different languages. Everyone had different languages then. So obviously this happened before that uh, or in the course of that. Uh, and Babel is mentioned here as a descendant of Canaan, a descendant of Ham. You know, there he is. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel. And then in the land of Shinar, um, Babel, of course, is the precursor to Babylon. So Babylon, this ancient city, this um, huge empire that becomes um, a, an enemy of the people of God. They destroy the temple. Uh, they take away the people. And in the end, it becomes a model of this society that sets itself up against God. And this is the beginnings of it, this Babel society. Uh, but also, if you go back to Cain in Genesis chapter 4, if you remember Cain as part of his punishment for killing his brother Abel, God sends him out of uh, from his presence. Uh, but he goes away east of Eden and he built a city. And so that's exactly how uh, Genesis chapter 11 begins. These people uh, of Babel go to the east, to the land of Shinar, and they build themselves a city. So they're following in the footsteps of Cain. So in chapter 4, we have Cain and Abel. Chapter 11, we have Cain and Babel, a whole community descended from Cain, following in the footsteps of Cain to build themselves a name. You know, they build themselves a city to make themselves a name uh, so that they won't be scattered. They don't want to be dispersed. And the Bible coming together is a sign of blessing, gathering is blessing. Being dispersed is a mark of God's um, cursing. Uh, I think there is a Bible overview book by Christopher Ashe that basically goes along these lines, you know, coming together, gathering, dispersal is cursing. And so here are people who essentially reject the curse, the judgment, the word of God upon themselves. What is God's reaction? Verse 5, he comes down to see the city. So this huge city that apparently reaches to the heavens here, reaches to the sky, God has to stoop down to have a look. What's, what's that these people are doing? They're so proud of themselves. It's actually nothing compared to God. But he does sound concerned. You know, they're one people. They're one language. If they begin to do this now, nothing will be withheld from them. They'll be able to do anything. So God's punishment is, get this, not to destroy the, the tower, yeah, um, but to confuse their language. He destroys their unity. This is, uh, this is the essence of this curse of this dispersal he scatters them by destroying their unity let's confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech and that's why that place is called babel you know it's 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 a word that um that sounds like uh, babel yeah it's, it's like where we get we're like babel you know blah, 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 blah. They, they, they couldn't understand one another and therefore um they couldn't come together so what we see here is actually a case for a bad unity. Not all 
uh, instances of us coming together um, to do something great is actually a good thing. Um, the in Acts uh, it foretells of how the kings of the earth unite uh, to go against the anointed one and the apostles rightly uh, foresee this as a prophecy um, against Christ is it is it I, oh I might I might be wrong is I do four or five uh, is it is it four uh, yep here um, there you go why the nations they plot invade they take their stand together and so here's a kind of unity that is bad that is against God which we will see again in Revelation whereby the nations come together and unite against God but this particular verse in Psalm 2 talks about the nations together with well, God's people uh, gathered against uh, God's son Jesus so bad unity well we haven't read all Genesis 11 yet there's more <laughs> sorry that's what happens when I just wake up I ramble uh, let's see let's see where are we uh, verse 10 this is the history of the generations of Shem. Shem was 100 years old when he became the father of Apaksha, two years after the flood. Shem lived 500 years after he became the father of Apaksha and became the father of more sons and daughters. Apaksha lived 35 years and became the father of Shelah. Apaksha lived 403 years after he became the father of Shelah and became the father of more sons and daughters. Shelah lived 30 years and became the father of Eber. Shelah lived 403 years after he became the father of Eber and became the father of more sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and became the father of Peleg. Uh, Eber lived 430 years after he became the father of Peleg and became the father of more sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and became the father of Reu. Peleg lived 209 years after he became the father of Reu and became the father of more sons and daughters. Reu lived 32 years and became the father of Serug. Reu lived 207 years after he became the father of Serug and became the father of more sons and daughters. Serug lived 30 years and became the father of Nahor. Serug lived 209 years after he became the father of Nahor and became the father of more sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and became the father of Tira. Nahor lived 119 years after he became the father of Tira and became the father of more sons and daughters. Tira lived 70 years and became the father of Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. Now, this is the history of the generations of Tira. Tira became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran became the father of Lot. Haran died in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldees, while his father Tira was still alive. Abram and Nahor married wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, who was also the father of Iscah. Sarai was barren. She had no child. Tira took Abram, his son, Lot, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. They went from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. They came to Haran and lived there. The days of Tira were 205 years. Tira died in Haran. So interesting. So we begin with another genealogy here. We just got one in chapter 10, but this one, unlike chapter 10, traces just father, son, father, son, father, son. So he had others, each one had other sons and daughters, but it's really just coming down from Shem down one son, one son, one son, one son, one son. And we saw this before in Bang in chapter 5 with the line of Seth. Adam uh, had a son, Seth, in his image, and then one son, one son, one son, one son going down. And it's talking about that search for the son. The whole of Genesis can be, can be summarized as the search for this promised son who will bring them relief and bring them salvation from this curse of God. And so after the flood, after Noah, 
this search continues because in chapter 5 it ends with Noah. Now it continues with Noah's son Shem in chapter 11. Uh, just some slight differences. Um, it doesn't have the bit whereby they died, they died, they died. Um, but again, we it's the same formula. I think it's just shortened, uh, whereby it's trying to bring us back down to this current present character, uh, Abram, who is the son of uh, Terah. And there's Abram, we introduced to Nahor, we introduced to Haran, Haran dies, and Haran's son is Lot. And so uh, Terah took um, his two sons, and their wives and his uh, grandson Lot, yeah, grandson Lot, Abram's uh, nephew, and they took them from the Ur of the Chaldees. And this is the connection with the previous passage uh, about Abel. Uh, this is um, this is a place from that place of rebellion, you know. So actually, they lived there. They were descended from Shem, but they actually lived among those people in uh, in Babel, um, and so actually they left there and moved towards Canaan. And so we just introduced at this point to all these characters. We will setting setting things up to chapter twelve uh, when we introduce, and we'll find out more about Abram. And yeah, that's all about Genesis eleven for today. How are we doing for time? I'm tired. <laughs> uh, okay, let's try one more one more passage, and maybe you'll take a rest, and then we'll come back for the rest. Matthew chapter ten. Here we go. He called to himself, Jesus called to himself, 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, Labius, who is also called Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Jesus sent these twelve out and commanded them, saying, Don't go among the Gentiles, and don't enter into any of the city of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Freely you received, so freely give. Don't take any gold, silver, or brass in your money belts. Take no bag for your journey, neither two coats, nor sandals, nor stuff, for the laborer is worthy of his food. Into whatever city or village you enter, find out who in it is worthy, and stay there until you go on. As you enter into the household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it isn't worthy, let your peace return to you. Whoever doesn't receive you or hear your words as you go out, of that house or that city shake the dust off your feet uh, most certainly i tell you it will be more tolerable for the land of sodom and gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city behold i send you out as sheep among the wolves therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves but beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and in their synagogues they will scourge you Yes, and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake for a testimony to them and to the nations. But when they deliver you up, don't be anxious how or what you say, for it will be given you in that hour what you will say. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will deliver up brother to death, and the father is child. Children will rise up against parent and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all men for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to the next, for more certainly I tell you, 
you will not have gone through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man has come. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his Lord. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and the servant his Lord. If they call the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more those of his household? Therefore do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in the ear, proclaim on the housetops. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Aren't two sparrows sold for a Nazarian coin? Not one of them falls to the ground, apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered, therefore don't be afraid. You're of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father, who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father, who is in heaven. Don't think that I came to send peace on the earth. I didn't come to send peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man at odds against his father and a daughter against his mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foes will be from those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. He who doesn't take his cross and follow after me isn't worthy of me. He who seeks his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, most certainly, I tell you, he will in no way lose his reward. So the context is Jesus sends out his disciples. Um gives them his authority over unclean spirits um, to cure every kind of disease, um, gives, us the, gives us the name of these 12 um, apostles, um, kind of like symbolic of that new covenant community. So 12, symbolic of the 12 sons of Jacob, 12 sons of Israel. And so Jesus is starting this New Testament community founded on these new 12 apostles appointed by him. And they are sent out to do these amazing miracles, but also mainly to preach the kingdom of heaven is nearby. Is Here it says at hand, it's like round the corner. It's really just about to happen. So that's the message that they are meant to proclaim initially here just to the people of Israel, not the Gentiles, not the Samaritans, just through the towns of Israel. And generally the idea is uh, mounting opposition. You know, he initially gives the scenario whereby someone might uh, welcome you and so your peace will be upon them, but sometimes people are going to not <laughs> welcome you. Uh, but it increases uh, in terms of hostility, sheep among wolves. You know, people will deliver you over to synagogues. You'll be put before um, governors and kings. So it's mounting opposition, you know, from just a household to synagogues and now kings. And in each point, the more the opposition, the more the opportunity to then preach the gospel to those people. Don't worry what you'll say. The Holy Spirit will give you in those moments what to say on behalf of him. That's interesting, isn't it? 
that here uh, oftentimes if we were going on a mission trip you know, preparing for a particular kind of event you know we're praying against things going wrong but here actually the more the opposition the more co the complexity the more the opportunity for God to use you to speak his gospel not necessarily for God to deliver you from that trouble from that uh, opposition but actually to use that circumstance for you to be faithful to the gospel opposition will come from within your own family that's uh, the prophecy from Micah um, we see that later on as well um, here in Micah chapter 7 you know um, from father against son daughter against mother-in-law daughter-in-law here you know within your own household and therefore it it shows that there is going to be internal opposition to your uh, connection to Christ and you know um, it's going to be either or, or your um, love and devotion and your ministry to Christ cannot be divided. Um, what else is there? But at the, in the midst of this, God cares for you. You are precious. Your life is precious. And therefore, always be faithful. Be faithful to the gospel, even to the point of death. You know, whoever denies me, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. But if whoever confesses him, he will be confessed before his father in heaven. So in other words, in the face of opposition from within, from without, whether things work out or things don't, uh, even at the cost of your life, stay faithful to the gospel, confess Christ. Um, yeah, and so here, uh, he who receives me receives him who receives me. And so here's almost like speaking um, to those who don't reject so it's at the end because, you know, almost everyone else rejects, reject, 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 reject. But if you don't reject him to those who believe in Jesus, to those who receive those who speak in his name, they will receive, um, you know, the blessing that comes with them. You receive a prophet, receives the prophet's reward, receives the righteous man, re receives the righteous man's reward. Um, and it makes it uh, seem just how easy it is to receive God's word in on one hand, you know, if someone speaks to you on behalf of God, just understanding that, not rejecting that, means you receive everything that the blessing comes from that word. But at the same time, the fact that this tiny section comes towards the end in the context of all this opposition means our tendency is to reject it. Our tendency is to reject the person who speaks this word to us. And that's the reality of the gospel. There's rejection mainly, it's mounting opposition, but God is able to use all the circumstances. You, your job is to be faithful, to rely on His Spirit, to speak the gospel. And if you were to be in the position of receiving that word, of hearing that word, you would receive all the blessings that come together with that word, together with the messenger of that word. Even to the, you know, you know, these are not these are not huge acts of righteousness. This receiving, this is not, not turning a person away, giving a cup of cold water. You know, the smallest thing you can do just to welcome God's people who are speaking God's word to you, it's such a blessing then that God will remember, even will remember that cup of water, that, 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 that reception, just that heart that you've given to one of his messengers. Yeah, so that's Matthew chapter 10. Shall we try to sneak in another one? Okay, let's try, let's try, let's try this. Ezra chapter 10. <laughs> Get on the roll. Will I regret this? Uh, Ezra chapter 10. Is it a heavy chapter? 
Oh yeah, it is. Shall we do this? Oh, okay. Let's, let's, just, let's just push ahead. Let's just push ahead. Okay. Now, while Ezra prayed and made a confession, weeping and casting himself down before God's house, there was a gathering that was gathered together to him out of Israel, a very great assembly of men and women and children, for the people wept very bitterly. Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, answered Ezra, We've trespassed against our God and have married foreign women of the people of the land. Yet now there is hope for Israel concerning this thing. Now, therefore, let's make a covenant with our God to put away all the wives and those who are born of them according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Arise, for the matter belongs to you, and we are with you. Be courageous and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the chiefs of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel to swear that they would do according to this word. So they swore. Then Ezra rose up from before God's house and went into the room of Jehohanan, the son of Eliashib. When he came there, he ate no bread nor drank water, for he mourned because of the trespass of those of the captivity. They made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the people of the captivity that they should gather themselves together to Jerusalem, and that whoever didn't come within three days according to the counsel of the princes and the elders, all his possessions would be forfeited and himself separated from the assembly of the captivity. Very extreme. Wow. It's almost like, you know, if no one comes up for this Bible study, you're out of this church. You know, this Ezra is trying to solve this problem of intermarriage that um, the people, including the priests, including the leaders have done, you know, with the peoples of the land. And so uh, that's what we saw in yesterday's chapter. You know, he was mourning and then he essentially prayed, identifying himself with the sin of the people. And as after this, you know, someone comes to him, he says, you know, we are with you. Whatever you decide, we will work as one and we'll implement. We'll give you that authority. We trust you. You're a man of God. You know, you know God's word. You, you, you've, you know, prayed accordingly. And so do this. And so that's what Ezra does. He goes and he sends out this instruction that, okay, all right, everyone who's intermarried um, with uh, foreign wives, you need to turn up here. Otherwise, you're going to be kicked out of the community. We're going to excommunicate you, essentially. So what happens? Verse 9, Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin gathered themselves together to Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month on the twentieth day of the month, and all the people sat in the wide place in front of God's house, trembling because of this matter, shaking, fearful. What's God going to do? What's Ezra going to do? And because of the great rain, they're trembling maybe because of the cold, you know, standing out in the rain. Verse 10, Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have trespassed and have married foreign women to increase the guilt of Israel. Now therefore make confession to Yahweh, the God of your fathers, and do his pleasure and separate yourselves from the people of the land and from the foreign women. Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, We must do as you have said concerning us. But the people are many, and it is a time of much rain, and we are not able to stand outside. This is not a work of a day, one day or two, for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. Now let our princess be appointed for all the assembly, and let all those who are in our cities who have married foreign women come at appointed times, and with them the elders of every city and its judges until the fierce wrath of our God is turned from us, until this matter is resolved. Only Jonathan, the son of Asahel, and Jaziah, the son of Tikvah, stood up against this, and Meshulam and Shabithai the Levite helped them. The children of the captivity did so, 
Ezra the priest, with certain heads of fathers' households after their fathers' houses, and all of them by their names were set apart, and they sat down in the first day of the tenth month to examine the matter. They finished with all the men who had married foreign wives, foreign women, by the first day of the first month. Among the sons of the priests, there were found who had married foreign women, of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and his brothers Maaseah, and Eliza, and Jerib, and Gedaliah. They gave their hand that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they offered a ram of the flock for their guilt. Of the sons of Emer, Hanani, and Zabadiah, of the sons of Harim, Maaseah, Elijah, and Shemaiah, and Jehiel, and Uzziah, of the sons of Pashur, Elioenai, Maaseah, Ishmael, Nethanel, uh, Nethanel, Jozebad, and Elasa, of the Levites, Jozebad, and Shimei, and Kaliah, also called Kalita, Bethahiah, Judah, and Eliezer, of the singers Eliashib, of the gatekeepers Shalom and Telem and Uri, of Israel, of the sons of Parush, Ramla, and Isaiah, Isaiah, and Malchijah, and Majamin, and Eliezer, and Malkijah, and Benaiah, of the sons of Elam, Mataniah, Zechariah, and Jahil, and Abdi, and Jeremoth, and Elijah, of the sons of Zatu, Elioenai, Eliashib, Mataniah, and Jeremoth, and Zabad, and Azizah, of the son of Bibai, sons of Bibai, Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zabai, Athlai, of the sons of Bani, Meshulam, Maluk, and Adiah, Jashub, and Sheol, Jeremoth, of the sons of Pahath, Pahath Moab, Adna and Kilai, Benaiah, Maaseah, Mataniah, Bezalel, and Binui, and Manasseh, of the sons of Harim, Eliezer, Ishajah, Malchijah, uh, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Maluk, and Shemariah, of the sons of Hashu, Metani, Matathah, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, Shimei, of the sons of Hashu, Metani, Matathah, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, did I just read that? Jeremiah, Manasseh, Shimei. <laughs> Did I reread the same verse? Of the sons of Bini, Madai, Amram, and Uel, Benaiah, Bdea, Keluhi, Benaiah, Meramoth, Eliashib, Mataniah, Matanai, and Jesu, and Benai, and Binui, Shimei, and Shalemiah, and Nathan, and Adiah, Maknadabai, Shashai, Sharai, Azalel, and Shalemiah, Shamariah, Shalom, Amariah, Joseph, all the sons of Nebo, Jael, Methathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Edo, and Joel, Benaiah. All these had taken foreign wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. And that's the end of the book of Ezra. It is just like that. Wow. Ezra says, you know, send away your foreign wives. They say, okay, you know, it's going to be tough. You know, it's in the rain. It's going to take some time. Please appoint people to help us do this in the different towns where this is happening. But essentially, they say yes. And so these are the names of the people um, who did this. Um, yeah. Uh, relatively, um, not that many. I mean, there were tens of thousands of people at this point of time. So the, the fact that we can't even read these names, as tough as it was, means it wasn't that large a number. But this is such a tricky, tricky issue. You know, they're sending their wives and their children away um, and breaking those marriages. So on the one hand, um, they were obedient, I guess. You know, they knew they had sinned. They shouldn't have done this in the first place. But the correction of that sin, you know, sending away all these 
women and children breaking all these marriages. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know that there are you know, some commentaries that say that the word here, you know, they might not actually be married technically and stuff and everything of like that. But, but, but I think it's just really messy. And I think it shows just how tricky the situation was, you know, wanting to be faithful, but, you know, the means by which correcting that sin in an act of faithfulness just has this tremendous cost and it's just messy you know it, it just shows you know cleaning up sin on a large scale you know it's 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 hard it's um i think it's, it's it's one of those tough calls you can't really say how good or how tricky or how clear this is i think it just shows that in that attempt in that desire to be obedient they couldn't find the most perfect solution and so um even in their enthusiasm there was this cost that was borne by all these women and all these children yeah. yeah i don't know what to say uh it ends in this kind of dark way actually that in the pursuit of holiness and faithfulness in trying to clean up their lives um they had to take this action that was very very decisive but had just so much heartbreak and sadness and leaves you going what you know this is the solution to sin and it makes us cry out for a real solution something that will be entirely just but will be also fair and merciful something that will be bring us back to god but at the same time not cause us to compromise you know our lives and our faithfulness because they were you know they were married to these women and these children so yeah um yeah i think i'll stop there i have uh another chapter in acts and this is i know this is peter and cornelius and he repeats <laughs> the story twice so it's quite long this story so I'll look at this. Um, I'll come back at six. I'll look at this. But for now, I'll just pray and I'll end over here, right at this last reading. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the cross, which cleanses us of our sin, which is just, you know, which is righteous, you know, because therefore there's no more payment for sin. And thank you, Lord, that when we are justified through Jesus, we're completely so. And it happens because he takes our filthiness on him all the things we did wrong, all our sin, he willingly and sacrificially bore on the cross for our sakes. That now as we come to you, and no matter who we are, no matter what, what we've even done today, as we confess, you know, Jesus' blood cleansing righteousness upon us, we are whole and we are made new and we are your children. Thank you so much for that and the promise of that and the reality of that in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you later. Bye.